Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bengalis in New York show. My name is Arik and uh, we were repping it for, you know, the Bronx, Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island, and all over the world. So welcome and enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome to uh, the Bonnie Podcast. I'm excited to talk to you guys. Thank you. Where, where does the name uh, Bachelorette come from? Okay, interesting story, Cam. Basically, we were making a video back in March and when promoting, so the video was on um, COVID-19 awareness, especially, and in Bangladesh, how the ideas of social distancing would work. And when releasing the video, and it was through this media company called Dako TV. They're pretty big in Bangladesh. So when, when posting it, we were deciding on hashtags to use on the video. And one of the hashtags, and I was sitting, sitting in my room and when my brother came in, he also works in Bachelor with me. And he was like, okay, what's the hashtag we can use? We were like, Lorai, Lorai, because it was like a fight and we wanted to, the video itself talked about the fight for survival. Then we were like, Bachar Lorai, ah, that has a ring to it. So that started the name, hashtag Bachar Lorai, which essentially started just as a hashtag. But as we developed into our different projects, the hashtag itself became a trending name and we were like, okay, let's keep this as a part of our own platform or our entity. That's how it became Bachar Lorai. You know what? I just realized I initially read it as Bachar Lorai, which is like children Lorai. That's why I sent you. I sent you a message. I was like, "Oh, is it children's struggle?" Or you? <laughs> now I the feel first like one. Uh, now I feel like an idiot. Time. No, actually, Bachar Lorai. Uh, uh, th- that makes a lot more sense now. That's, that's mm-hmm. actually a great story too. How did you guys get involved with the the folks uh, at Cornell? Um, so, I mean, as soon as like the pandemic occurred, we knew that we really wanted to, you know, do an in- initiative in Bangladesh, but we wanted to do something a little further than a simple fundraiser. So um, when we contacted Bachelorai, we set up our first meeting and we were kind of shell-shocked at how confident they were in our potential. Um, like we thought we'd raise maybe $2,000 and send it over to an organization. Um, but they were very transparent with us and they were very... Uh, they, 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 they knew that we would be able to accomplish more and um, they saw our potential. And so from there, we, uh, we decided on an organization. We were able to be a lot more hands-on. Um, and yeah, so we were really, ta- we were really interested in, in their initiative just because they, you know, they gather a bunch of expats, people from different backgrounds. And so like, if you look at Samid, Fariza, and me, like we all kind of represent the diversity of Bachelorai, like people who have really different experiences with Bangladesh. Like Fariza and Samid, they've like grown up in Bangladesh. They have, they have a lot of experience there. Whereas I'm someone who went to Bangladesh only when I was three. So it shows that like, no matter what, you know, background you're coming from, like you have the potential to really do, do make a difference. So, yeah. How long has that organization been around? So Bachelorai started in end of March. So beginning of April. So we're now registered. We start, started off as a social movement and we want to continue as a social movement until the point we hit some roadblocks where we were like, okay, you have to register as a 5013C. But up until then, a social movement has helped us um, to steer across a lot of problems that which a typical organization would face, especially when you're dealing with Bangladesh. And the whole relief efforts have been pandemic facing and it's been in Bangladesh. So as you can imagine, we have to be apolitical. There are um, certain regional biases that come in. There are language barriers that come in, government bureaucracies. So to avoid all of that, we've kept the social model move, like social movement model. And it also has helped a lot of people come in and start their own initiatives. And that's been the goal from day one. It's having expats, grassroots organizations, and citizens of Bangladesh come up with their own projects and own ideas, and then we facilitate it. Essentially, it is their projects and it is their impact, but we just help you. And that's been the story of Bachelorai. So yeah, April, if you want to 
How do you select the uh, individuals that you work with? So in terms of individuals, it's about, honestly, if we don't have a very rigorous selection process, it's about who has the init- who has like the willingness to come in and commit to a cause. At the end of the day, if it's about starting a fundraiser, there are certain guidelines that we give you if you want to set up the fundraiser. But in terms of vetting people, it just goes by how much conviction you show towards the cause. And there's some level of vetting that can be done when you start interacting with people and the logistics or the capability that they have. So essentially, for working on a cause, like working for causes in the pandemic, only people with the most conviction would come up and approach us. So selecting people has not ever been a problem. Okay. I mean, so I think uh, right now the biggest issues obviously are the, the flood and uh, COVID. How, how are you making sure that it gets to the right people in Bangladesh that really need it? I think that's the biggest concern for people that are here is, you know, Bangladesh is still a uh, developing country and it's, you know, it's a, it's a um, there's a lot of corruption. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of times the, the money and funds that people send doesn't get to the right people. So how are you making sure it does? Right. Um, I'll just I'll just state a bit. Um, in terms of the fundraising, which is th- being done here, as you said, Cam, like the biggest concern is getting it to people there. Maybe yeah. Fraser, you can give a bit of bit of background mm-hmm. on some of the projects that we do, and you can understand how it is essentially reaching the people. Yeah. So um, I think one of the biggest projects we've already done for garments workers specifically was with Beacon Bangladesh, and we fed uh, we fed over we fed around five hundred people uh, for approximately twenty days. And um, so the person who's in charge of this entire project, he's just someone like us, someone who volunteered to help out. He's not, we're not working with NGOs or um, any other big organizations. It's all, you know, we have direct contact with everyone who's involved in the process. I think that's what maintains a lot of the transparency that, you know, because there's a lot of corruption in Bangladesh, we were initially also kind of wary about that and wondering how we would send all the money. Um, so yeah, so, you know, when, uh, and how they kind of um, make sure they're reaching the right sort of people. Um, so our contacts in Bangladesh, whoever we're working with, they will go through um, an official list of people who are actually unemployed and um, find them out, match them to their phone numbers, um, you know, or figure out a way, you know, get their addresses or something. So there's, there's a whole, there's a lot of things that goes behind um, confirming that we're um, helping the, the, we're helping those who are actually unemployed and need help. Um, Yeah. And, um, and we did another project um, that's a lot more independent with some friends in Bangladesh. And that's even more transparent as our friends buy stuff. They let us know, you know, what, what they spent what money on and everything so it's been it's been it hasn't been really difficult to make sure that the money is going to the correct causes um and you know we're trying to cover all the transportation costs and everything um and make sure you know the money the the donation money actually goes to the people so yeah great and i'm sorry i think i might have missed it but how did you guys meet again because you're in uh i mean you're yeah. in canada and you guys are here so how did you guys meet Right. Um, so, yeah, we never media. met in person. Yeah. <laughs> We've never met in person. Um, so what happened was basically um, um, in, a, in one of BSA's um, general board meetings, we were kind of talking about it, you know, how the situation in Bangladesh is really bad. It's so bad in, you know, developed countries. So we were just wondering how bad it must be there. 
And initially, like Nabiha said, we just wanted to, you know, maybe do a like a Venmo fundraiser, maybe a um, thousand to two thousand dollars. But we were we were seeing Butcher Lorai's hashtag quite a bit, um, and so I reached out to kind of their Facebook page, and that's that's how we set up our first meeting, got to know everyone, and yeah, it's been a few months. Um, we've been meeting, you know, and planning all these things, so it's been exciting. Well, I'm really shocked. It's only been a few months because your website is so developed, and it's also um, it seems like you've done a lot in that short period of time. Well, yeah, so Cam, um, basically, because it's a lot of us working here, working from here in Canada. So it started off from Canada, Toronto, like some of our friends from Toronto, but it started growing. Like we have people in Boston, we have a friend, one of our co-founders is in Virginia. Another friend is working from London. We have people in Melbourne. So it's like an online community, right? But because of the pandemic and because of the urgency of the matter, people are, people are putting in their 100%. So there's a data analytics team. There's people who are handling the website. And there's people who are handling projects. Like I said, it's a social movement. So any part of the work that you are doing, you are independent of what you want to do. So for someone who wants to develop the website, to them, that's how they're contributing to the problems in Bangladesh, to the pandemic, for the causes of the pandemic. So they're putting their 100% effort on the website itself. So now going on to the work itself, it's been three months, 13 projects, north of $100,000 raised. Um, wow. In terms, in terms of number of people reached, um, I would say 60,000, 70,000 people already reached plus, 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 because some things are not accountable. So like, for example, for one of the projects, which is giving hospital beds, one hospital bed can um, bed one person one night. So how do you measure impact on that? Can I say that for every night the bed has been there, do you, do you impact one person? We haven't been accounting for those numbers, but at the end of it all, when the pandemic subsides, I'm sure these are going to be like some fantastic numbers we can hopefully share with people. What's the average donation per person? Do you know that? I think it depends on the kind of the population we're reaching. So within our school, it's been maybe five, ten dollars or so. That's been the average amount a, a college student can afford. But we've also gotten like a hundred dollars, two hundred dollars, and that's that that has been pretty common. I can get into you know when our fundraiser really took off. Um, so yeah, I guess I can get started on that. Um, so basically, initially, like I mentioned, we plan to raise $2,000. And uh, when we spoke to Tahmed and, you know, the other bachelor, everyone else in the bachelor team, they mentioned that, you know, we should message people, try to get them to donate. So we did that initially. And within the first day, we raised our, we reached our limit. We raised $2,000 within 24 hours. So um, after that, um, we were already helping garments work, uh, planning to help garments workers. But as the pay-up movement um, came up, we, you know, took advantage of the momentum that that was gaining. Um, and, you know, we reached out to influencers with um, 10,000 followers, 50,000 followers, even a million followers who are all ba- Bangladeshi American or Bangladeshi Canadian. And I think that really helped us gain a lot more donations because people were aware of this and they actually wanted to help out. We we received help from a lot of people who aren't Bangladeshi, who have nothing to do with Bangladesh, but they they really did care. And, you know, like some of the Venmo donations, they kind of like the comments really touched me because they were like, we really wanted to help. And thanks for having, you know, a reliable way to send money to Bangladesh. Um, so yeah, after the, after the, you know, the fundraiser really took off, I think $50 was like a standard amount we were getting. So 
that was really great. And I think, you know, generally fundraisers, you can raise a lot of money. But I think what's really unique about our fundraiser is we have we have had almost 500 people donate to our fundraiser. If you look at our GoFundMe, there's around 340 people. And through Venmo, I raised we raised around four thousand dollars. And for Venmo, that's like a huge amount because usually you get five to ten dollars or fifteen, twenty, something like that. Um, so yeah, I think the number of people we've seen care about our initiative was really mind blowing. Well, I'm really impressed at how much you guys been have been able to raise. Do you do you receive feedback from people saying that, well, you're not a five hundred one c three, you know, and and any concerns about that? Um, so yeah, so that's the thing, uh, Cam. You bring up an interesting question because it's a model itself. Um, Bachelor hasn't raised any money at all. Uh, it's only the people who have raised money. So Cornell BSA has raised money. I have had uh, GoFundMe of my own. I've raised money. My friends have raised GoFundMe, uh, have money to GoFundMe. But it's the hashtag that they're using, essentially. And it's they're, 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 they're basically following an idea. And that's where Bachelorette comes in. Bachelorette summarizes the effort, but Bachelorette is not taking any credit for any of the efforts that are being done. These are the individuals who are taking the effort. So when it comes to people raising issues, some of the issues that are being raised is why are you not registered? You can receive foreign donations right now. But we didn't want to operate in that NGO model where we're going to wait for USAID or, I don't know, UN to give us money or UNHCR to give us money. And then we work because we even worked at the Rohingya camps. But the very idea that you're mobilizing general people to make change is the very fact is a model that has been working over the past three months. You said you said you've seen the figures and you've seen the numbers. So if it's a model that's been working, why not just keep going at that model? Because maybe it's something new. It's something called digital social innovation. We also wrote a paper on that. And it's been working and it's making a lot of impact. So until unless we face big roadblocks where people really want us to get registered, we I don't think we will register. But if it helps us to move forward, we will. But so far, no complaints so far on saying that why are we not registered? Because we're not doing anything illegal anyways. So it makes sense for us to continue. And I'm assuming most of the team is our volunteers, right? Yeah, no one's paid. So how are you uh, able to, yeah, so I'll tell you for Bengalis in New York, it's about 17 of us. And we actually, we have a lot going on other than the Instagram page, but it's volunteers. Um, so I'm just curious from, uh, you know, for, from you, how, how are you get, keeping everyone motivated? So um, first of all, the pandemic is keeping people motivated. The problems in Bangladesh is keeping people motivated. And with yeah. Bangladesh, there's, there's something, there's a new calamity. We thought we were dealing with a pandemic, in comes Cyclone Amphan. Okay, we do disasters, we do drives for Cyclone Amphan, in comes the flood. So in terms of motivation, that sort of motivation keeps people going. We've had to pay volunteers in Bangladesh because you have to understand that in Bangladesh, people are risking yeah. their lives. Um, so I remember during Eid, we were doing iftar deliveries to hospitals and that's when we hired a volunteer, but we had to give him like a lump sum amount of money at the end, end, end of the project. Um, Navia, you can talk a bit about like in Shahrukh's project, like, which is one of the phases of the Cornell fundraiser. We did, uh, we are, we are paying some of the volunteers. Right. We're, we're really dedicated to making sure that we take care of our volunteers also, like, um, giving them PPE, making sure that, you know, we, we organize everything in a way where, you know, we have crowd control. Um, we, we know exactly who's getting packages, things like that. All the logistics we try to take care of. But ultimately, you know, the volunteers there, they, they are the superheroes. They're the ones that are doing the real work. And um, yeah, so they're the people behind all of this. And we're actually bringing like all of these, all of this charity into fruition. So Really, really impressive. Um, so I wanted, to, I wanted to actually talk about one of your campaigns, the Pay Up uh, campaign. 
So we actually, a few weeks ago, we had a couple of a fashion designer and also a, a Bengali CEO of a, of a fashion um, company called Nayaji Bon, and he's doing a lot of work in Bangladesh. And he has a, a fashion, he has a um, clothing company that uh, focuses on, uh, you know, paying uh, workers in Bangladesh a livable wage and things like that. Um, and we had a really good, interesting conversation about pay up. Um, I wanted to just get a, get your thoughts on what the uh, um, the genesis of, of the pay up campaign is for people that don't know, but also what do you think some of the pros and cons are, you know, of the campaign itself? I'll get started and then we can all continue on that fashion. Um, so I'll give you a bit of context. For Bangladesh, its garments industry is the biggest biggest export industry, um, accounting for I think thirty point two billion dollars. Yeah, 80%, uh, which is. Uh, you know, a huge which concentration, is, which is a huge concentration risk. Yeah. So I'd love to, for you to talk about that also. No, for sure. And um, Bangladesh exports six point five percent of the total garments in the world, which is which 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 accounts for like. And we are doing fast fashion. So essentially, what is happening is we're dealing with the biggest clothing brands, not in terms of name, but in terms of the volumes of production. So what volumes of productions mean is that. A number of people, uh, like a huge number of people are working. I think around there's 20 million people working in Bangladesh. That's um, one lakh is beach lakh. So like that's an insane amount of, that's an insane amount of people. So when you have that many people working in a certain industry, the risk automatically increases. Now, if we are not to talk about the conditions of the workers, because the hashtag pay up movement, although it started as something for labor rights, but the hashtag pay up movement gain ground when the pandemic hit. That is one fact that people often overlook is that if the pandemic never happened, the garments would not have canceled their orders. And if the garments did not cancel their orders, these workers would not have been unemployed. So because there's a complex LC system, which is based on trust, the garments pays only after the product is delivered to their doorstep and they do QC and then they Pay, pay to the vendors. So we've had to interact with a lot of garment owners in Bangladesh as well, who are like, listen, I would have paid the workers. Yes, we make a lot of profit, but I would have paid the workers if I have any money to pay them. We're making orders and there are so many subsidiary businesses which make buttons, which make packaging, who are all suffering because these big companies have canceled their orders or stopped them. Why? Because of the pandemic and of course of an economic recession. Now the pay up movement comes in where People in Bangladesh are saying, if you don't pay us, it's not about us making profits or it's not about us like reaching break even. If you don't pay us, we don't get to pay these people. And these people are only skilled to work in the garments industry. So if you don't pay them, they will literally starve because they don't have enough savings to pay next month's rent or food. Now, Navia, if you could tell us about the Who Made Your Clothes and the rest of the movement. Yeah, so I think going back to like social media movements in general, so um Remake Our World is the one that I believe created the pay-up movement. Um, Who Made Your Clothes is like an Instagram account that has, I think, over like 20,000K followers. So they are, they're very active in updating followers with companies that have agreed to, agreed to pay up and companies that have not. What I wanted to talk about was kind of how we got involved with the pay-up movement. So Remake Our World did reach out to us and ask for, um, for us to be their you know, donation to for us to have our donation link be a part of their campaign. Um, and I think the pay up movement is interesting since it kind of has two factors into it. So the first factor is what like Thamid mentioned, like 
the actual issues going on with the garments garments industries, the long term change that needs to be there, the long term, um, you know, efforts to improve the conditions and everything, um, especially because of what this pandemic has revealed about the garments industry. But I think one part that we like a challenge that we faced was trying to convince or trying to show people the importance of donating now, because, you know, when we say pay up for these companies, like it's not exactly transparent as to how they're going to pay up, when they're going to pay up, what that money is going to go to. So we were really um, insistent on like our campaign focusing on the now and fixing this issue of, you know, making sure that people who are unemployed right now get food for their families on the table. So that's something that we, once we started to kind of emphasize more with our campaign and tell influencers and tell people to talk about this, that's when we kind of started to gain a little bit more traction for a fundraiser. So, yeah. You know, one, one thing that, you know, I'd like to get your thoughts on about the companies that are not paying. And, and, and I think it's, it's such a nuanced topic and I'd like to maybe talk about it a little bit is because, so from what I understand is the companies that did not pay um, these, uh, uh, these factory owners for the work that they did is because, so there's a clause in a lot of these contracts that's called the force majeure con- uh, clause. Mm-hmm. So it's basically, basically uh, allows companies to exit an agreement if there's some sort of act of God. Um, and uh, I come from a legal and compliance background. So like, I'm like, this is like standard um, in, in contracts. Like we had it in, you know, every single vendor that we, you know, sign agreements with, it, it's, it's a standard contract, of course, major clause. So, so technically the, the, you know, um, legally the companies didn't do anything wrong. Like legally they actually just executed a clause that's, that's there. Morally, obviously it's, it's, uh, it's wrong, but legally it wasn't wrong. Morally it's wrong. Um, so my, so I guess my question is, um, you know, even though, you know, legally they didn't do anything wrong, how, how do you feel about these companies, um, being forced to pay for something that, you know, they really, they don't have a demand for right. And maybe they probably don't have a demand or maybe, um, maybe they don't have a demand for right now, but also what do you think about the long-term repercussions of this, of jobs leaving Bangladesh? Because, you know, as you know, there are other countries where, you know, that, that probably even have a lower um, cost of labor. So um, there's a lot of, a lot of questions there, but I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Um, so in terms of, if you talk about the legality of the issue, of course, like we would have seen, been seeing them in the U.S. Congress if if it was a matter of if it was a legal issue, um, there wouldn't have been a social movement if it was just like a legal issue. So morally, yes, but the moral high ground at which we are standing is from the basis of need and is from the basis of suffering. So, in terms of the world acting towards these larger companies for them to pay up is sort of like a general uprising. And for any of those moves, any of the movements that we've seen now or any apolitical movement, we've seen that this is a very natural course of action in human history. And such has happened. And it's only because of the magnitude at the scale at, the, at which these companies are operating that people can go up to them and be like, okay, pay up because we know you have your reserves. If it wasn't the case, people are not going to their vendors. Even like in Bangladesh, a lot of these garments workers are supporting their factory owners because they know that they don't have the money because not all garments owners are supplying to H&M and Zara. Some of them are supplying to smaller, smaller companies. They have like a thousand to 2000 people factory. So to them, they know how much their owners, like how much those factory owners can provide them. It's only because these companies have the surplus that people all over the world can come and be like, okay, now you should give us the money in terms of a moral standpoint. 
Now let's go going back to the business point of view. Yes, you do bring in a very good point of them moving to other countries because of course, because not just not just because of the pay up movement or the pandemic, but because minimum wage was raised in Bangladesh after like the Rana Plaza happened. The minimum minimum wage was raised, um, way more compliance in factories like safety regulations. And for that, there have been companies who've dropped out. But because of the compliance, some more companies have come up. And to be honest, after Rana Plaza, which happened in what, 2017? I, I, I don't know the exact date, but whichever was, the garments industry only grew. The garments industry didn't shrink. And one of the reasons is infrastructure that's already existing in Bangladesh. And the infrastructure doesn't seem to go away. The skilled labor will not be going away. And therefore, it's hard to predict if the garments industry will diminish from Bangladesh. Yes, it will take a hit. But post-pandemic, even these new countries can afford to build infrastructures and suppose it, they're like a lot of them are moving to Cambodia, Vietnam, and mm-hmm. a lot of African countries, right? Because there's cheaper labor. But the infrastructure, the, the cost of the infrastructure that they're going to need post-pandemic to build in these countries is it's too much of a cost for them. Like, like for them, it's a better option to still invest in Bangladesh where you can see that the cost of labor is still relatively cheap in comparison to the world. And these people are already skilled laborers. So that's, that's my opinion. Yeah, and it's great. And, and it's uh, initiatives like yours that uh, you know, raise awareness about this topic. So people, consumers here in the United, United States can demand that their clothes are you know, being made by people that are, that are, fa- that are paid um, you know, accordingly. You know, going back to what you were saying earlier, Bangladesh is uh, you know, such a such a huge concentration risk with the garment industry, right? You know, one thing that you know um, I've spoken to in Bangladesh, there's you know they're saying that if uh, let some of these garment workers, um, if the jobs leave, they're going to be half forced into um, into uh, house labor, you know, which and and you know the you know the the, the so many issues with in, in indentured servitude in Bangladesh, which is a huge issue. So a lot of these a lot of, for a lot of people in Bangladesh, uh, the garment jobs were actually a, um, an opportunity just to escape that. So, you know, with these jobs going back, going away, that people would have to go back into into that, which is a huge problem. So, like, so it's just it's such a such a complicated issue. And like, you know, obviously, you know, you need you need you definitely need these companies to be held accountable. And you know, um, but and at the same time, like you said, the 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 um, the factory owners as well. Yeah, I mean, so anyway, I, I think what you guys are doing is 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 amazing, uh, and it's all about awareness. So, the, do you think that the pay up campaign was a net positive or a net, net negative? I think mostly um, the pay up campaign did bring about a lot of awareness, not only for Bangladesh. I think just in general, how um, how big companies exploit cheap labor. I think that that was really brought into the light. So in that sense, I think definitely it was positive. It got it got us going. It got a lot of other people going, and you know, and we really recognized the areas where there needs to be improvement. Um, to me, I think it was a positive thing. Although you know, like you mentioned, there are some technicalities that like companies might move away from Bangladesh and all of that that will come after it. Um, but overall, I think. It was it was a good initiative that Remake Our World took, um, and we're glad we could help with some of the immediate relief that people needed. While um, you know everyone else asked for a bigger change. Did you guys see the um, fast fashion uh, episode of Hassan Minaj's um, Patriot Act show? You guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I saw it. What did you What did you think about that episode? Um. Well, it it does bring up an important issue about 
the whole idea of fast fashion, um, why it exists, why hypercapitalism is just you know driving the economy, but it's also driving the economies of some of the first world of the first world privileges that we enjoy. So while we while we talk about fast fashion, the concept behind fast fashion is some of the things that keeps economies like ours going. So mm. it's again it again becomes yeah. a moral debate. Right. Yeah, I think what you just yeah, that, and that's why I struggle with sometimes because again, like going back to what we were talking about pay up, it's like I I want I want employee I want workers to get paid, but I also want jobs there, and I don't want mm-hmm. them to go back to you know forced labor you know in households. So it's like mm-hmm. you know it's like it's like where do you you know where do I where do I like draw the line with jobs and you know it's it's like it's not it's not it's not easy and and it's not as easy as like some of these campaigns make it out to be. It's it's like it's a very nuanced difficult topic um right. you know to kind of tackle and it's yeah. it's, it's unfortunate but I, you know but we do need to talk about it and i'm glad we're talking about it you know because mm-hmm. you know, awareness is, is key um what else do you what else does uh I, you know i was really impressed with the diversity of campaigns you guys have on your website you have this you know oxygen giving uh yeah. initiative which i thought was fascinating talk about that and yeah okay um so that's been an interesting one because um um when, when the pandemic started um, Bahamas doesn't have a lot of ICU beds. I think there were um, in total 117 ICU beds in Bangladesh, and that's all over the country. And that's that's an insignificant amount, right? And um, everyone was looking towards making ventilators. So in uh, early early April, we were talking with some Indian companies or like even other technology companies of how we can make cheap ventilators or like Bangladeshi homemade ventilators that we could give to like late stage corona patients. And that's when we were like, okay, instead of focusing on the late stage and instead of focusing on something, because even if you bring like a novel technology into Bangladesh, it takes uh, like the vetting needs to be done. It needs to be government approved. It needs to be DGD approved, which is like a health body in Bangladesh, their FDA. And it just becomes a wholly complicated process. We went to as many levels as we could to get this thing passed where we could get these ventilators. Now you don't hear about ventilators anymore in the market, but in May and June, like ventilators were the shit. So yeah. then we were like, how, instead of going into late stage corona patients, what is the first line of defense that when, when a patient comes into the hospital, what is the first thing that you give to a corona patient? It's a, it's a respiratory disease. So naturally, oxygen tanks seem like the best option. It was one of our friends, Araf. He's one of the co-founders as well. Shout out to you, Araf. Um, <laughs> but he came up with the idea that why not we invest in oxygen tanks? So we got it in Bangladesh, like a government-certified oxygen supplier. And we thought of turning it into, before it even became a fundraiser, we reached out to like um, companies in Bangladesh for as a CSR activity. And then at that point, it wasn't even CSR. We were like, uncle, auntie, please give us some money. We just want this project. And one oxygen tank literally means one life saved because when the corona patient's coming in, their health is deteriorating in like seven days and then like they're passing away. So Essentially, when you when the first line of defense is an oxygen tank, you're saving one life at that point. So we were like, okay, how about we try this? So we started doing it with a few hospitals, and because of the success and because of the like the response that we started receiving from like these individual donors, we thought of turning it into a campaign. So then that campaign became a fundraiser, and that fundraiser itself started getting bigger. And holy enough, in Bangladesh, as it is, uh, once you do something, everyone follows. And for the first time, I'm very happy that everyone's following. There are now numerous fundraisers who are raising for oxygen tanks. There are grassroots organizations. There are student organizations from Bangladesh who are raising money to provide oxygen, uh, oxygen tanks and also free oxygen supplies. So I'll give you a bit of Bangladeshi context. In Bangladeshi Gram, 
you don't have centralized hospitals. There is just the Upojala Shastra Kendra, which is basically their local health clinics. But what, what they're doing is they're getting these oxygen tanks, putting them in vans. Do you know the vans that they drive? Yeah, uh, yeah. Which is like a rickshaw with, like, with a with rickshaw a, with right, a bag. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're taking these tanks and they're taking one health expert and they're going around villages. So wherever there is a person with corona and who needs emergency oxygen supply, they're going and taking it and they're giving it to these patients. So that's literally the first line of defense. So Bangladesh is coming up with solutions of their own. But in mid, mid-April, when we started this, this was like something that we were doing. So now it went to 134 cylinders. And yeah, we want to continue. There are more people who are taking up the ranks and who want to continue with this project. So what we realize is that innovative solutions is what you need. You have your Bracken, you have your Grameen, we're like the biggest NGOs there. You have your Save the Children and you have your UNICEF but they work in grids and they can only operate in those certain grids. But it's people like us, it's people like you and me who can go there and who can actually come up with these novel solutions and make it work. So that's what we've been doing. Wow. Yeah, I lo- just, uh, I'm, I'm really impressed with the passion and, and your voice and everything you're talking about. It's, it's really impressive. And I'm really impressed with Fariza and Nabiha. And you guys are doing so much more than I did when I was in college. Um, uh, really impressive. What else? We have like two minutes left. So I just wonder, what else do you guys have going on that you really want people to know about um, for the short term and long term? No, for me, I just want to give the floor to Faris and Navia because these are the New Yorkers. I am hopefully going to be a New Yorker soon. But part of the reason that we wanted to, the reason I contacted you is because I wanted New Yorkers to realize that New Yorkers can go and make change in some other place and do make better change for our roots. So guys, if you want to say something for the people. Okay, so I think my biggest message to people would be um, to don't, like, don't underestimate your ability as a youth. Um, Like, Fariza, me, our our whole entire team going into this, we were really, we were amateurs at this fundraising thing. Like, we didn't know anything about it. And, you know, Bachelorai took us in and showed us all the ropes. And they've been so kind and they've been so inspiring. So I think my biggest message would be, like, we see all these issues in our communities. And um, I know our, our generation is, is, is more passionate about fixing these, these issues and learning about these problems. So, you know, just because you're not an expert yet in something doesn't mean you can be an expert in the future. So we've both learned so many things through this entire experience. And we're so excited to, you know, start new projects. Like Bachelor is always starting new projects, like left and right. There's so much work to be done in Bangladesh. So you know, the opportunities are limitless. So we're excited to just find more populations that are in need and, you know, help as much as we can. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think, yeah, like, like I mentioned, initially we planned to raise $2,000 and through this campaign, we raised almost $16,000. Um, so we've helped garments workers through, um, through this initiative, mostly garments workers, but we've also reached out to other populations like rickshaw pullers, disabled people um, who are also out of work. Um, and, you know, we've been, we've been very intentional in how we spend our money. So we look for vendors who, w- who could really use that money so we can double our impact. Kind of, you know, we see all these, you know, people sharing posts and everything on social media um, about movements like pay up movement, other movements and all of that. But I think it's also important, you know, to believe in yourself enough to try to do something about it. Like for us, um, we hosted a fundraiser, uh, we held a fundraiser and, you know, tried our best and we raised almost $16,000 um, and helped over 1,100 people. Um, and, you know, we didn't, we didn't think we could do that. So 
yeah, that that was all it all Super I wanted impressive. to end with. Super impressive. What are you What are you and Nabiha uh, majoring in? Is this your field that you um, want to get into? Not at all. Um, so I'm a computer science, electrical engineering double major. Um, yeah. But yeah, but I think I think through this, what I've realized is, you know, I can make a positive impact, you know, in whatever field I'm in. That's my passion, my academic passion. But this is kind of my human humanitarian passion, kind of. I do want to always give back and help people. And hopefully this is the first step in, you know, doing more besides what I'm achieving through my career. So yeah, Nabiha, if you want to go. Um, yeah, I'm studying nutritional sciences, but I have no idea what I want to do with my life yet. So, um, I'm, 30, I'm, 30, I'm 37. I'm, th- I'm 37 and I still don't know. So yeah, it's, everyone has their own time. But um, yeah, so I feel like like giving back has been always something that I've wanted to do, but I feel like I've used the excuses being like helpless or like I don't have the the community like the the connections yet. Um, but it, it I think what we showed is like it really is possible, and this is something that I know I want to make a big part of my life is to dedicate time out of my schedule to give back and to um, you know fight for people who who don't have the same rights as me or who don't have the same resource as me. So. I think, you know, this is something that is possible for everyone if they want to just dedicate the time to do it. Um, of course, not everyone, but um, if you can, just do delve into it. It's really fulfilling and you get to help so many people. So. I mean, so, yeah, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, just final words from you. Sure. Um, yeah, we were, we were talking about our majors and I'm in public health. So this was this sort of seemed like a natural step for me. But the beauty of Bachelorette was bringing in people from any major, but bringing people who have actually wanted to help and giving them a platform to help. Even if we weren't able to give a platform, we've had so many meetings and nothing has come up with it. But we know that we've showed people a way to make a change and the fact that they can make a change. Shout out to my team members, Anil Araf, Aftab, Aminur, and of course a big, big thank you to Farhim and Shahrukh who've made especially like the projects that we're doing with Cornell and for unemployed garments workers, it wouldn't have been possible without them. And most of all, to the donors because a lot of what we do is of course awareness campaigns i can make a video and i can get a million views but when you're talking about tangible impact in terms of feeding a family it didn't come out of my pocket it came out of someone's pocket who was in new york or who was in la so thank you to all of you who have supported us for supporting bachelor and for making our efforts worth it so thank you cam for having us yeah, thank you. Like I said, I, I love your passion and it's uh, it's contagious because I feel like I want to do a thousand things now. So it's uh, I appreciate it. I do it for my people, always in my thoughts. I gotta be honest with diamonds and pearls. Yeah, yeah. Bengal is a New York, all over the world. Uh, it's the bony show. Uh, Hey, can you handle this? Representing the boroughs where the bangles live From the slang we spit to the gangs we with It doesn't matter, we the essence of the Bangladesh I say, hey, come on Can you handle this? Representing the boroughs where the bangles live